our, our workforce is our greatest asset. And so by you know, empowering them and taking good care of, of our workforce, we're able to deliver be- better results. But I think what they all have in common is really this emphasis on following the evidence in pursuit of an organization's goals. You know, I think that that our office really wants to put the tools in the hands of state government employees to do more of the work that connects you with your mission, that makes Pennsylvanians' lives better, um, and and really you know, gives us something to feel good about when we go home at the end of the day. I think we all can agree that government in general is very inefficient. Lean simply is a way to look at work process to identify wasteful steps um, to make us work more efficiently um, and provide better customer service. Uh, The way something looks at the field level where we're seeing it can look completely different at the management level. You know, try to find something that uh, I'd have a better outcome if, if only this, this, this could happen. You know, look at something that uh, we do that we've always done and ask yourself, are we just doing that because we've always done it? Or is there a, is there a better reason for it? On this episode of Cracademically Speaking, we talk to staff from the governor's new office of performance through excellence. We also have a conversation with parole agent Damian Masais. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Stay tuned. We're here for the second episode of Pracademically Speaking. We're here in the Governor Governor Wolf's Office of Performance Through Excellence. You'll hear more about this relatively new office later in today's episode. Uh, joining me today for this first segment are several folks. Uh, we have a roundtable discussion today. I'm joined by Colby Claybaugh and Beth Andrioli from the Office of Performance Through Excellence. Also, their colleagues, uh, Josh Phoebus and Lori Baker, are uh, with us as well. I also have Nikki Bell, who's my colleague at the Department of Corrections. She's helping me manage uh, the Department of Corrections IDEA initiative. And on that note, before we get started, listen to this word on IDEA. IDEA. Innovate, develop, experiment, adapt. This is how organizations grow. Wouldn't it be nice to know that someone is listening to your ideas for growing our organization? Well, we are. If you are a staff member of the PA Department of Corrections or Board of Probation and Parole, and you have ideas for improving efficiency, improving outcomes, or reducing costs, please be a part of our new IDEA initiative. Your experience is important and your ideas matter. We invite you to submit an idea by emailing your idea to racrbetagov at pa.gov, racrbetagov at pa.gov. A link to this email address can also be found on DocNet under the Initiatives tab on the BetaGov page. Every idea is considered and will be followed up on. And please stay tuned for more info on our IDEA initiative. And we're back. And again with us uh, is Colby Claybaugh and Beth Andrioli. I'll let them introduce themselves here uh, briefly. Uh, Beth, if we could start with you and maybe could you just tell us a little bit about your professional background and how you got to where you are today and and the work that you're doing here in OPE? Sure. Excuse me. Um, I was a criminal justice major at Penn State. So my first job out of college was working as a caseworker for children and youth services in Northumberland County. I 
did that for about a year and I decided to do a career change and I started working at Nationwide Insurance in 2000. And then in 2007, I joined the Department of Insurance um, with the Commonwealth. And when I was at the insurance department, I went through Lean Ninja training uh, and was very interested in trying to improve work processes. So when the OPE office was established, um, and because I am uh, embra I embrace change and promote teamwork and see the need for better services, I was interested in working with this team. I am tasked with supporting the public safety hub agencies. I enjoy promoting lean and explaining how making proce our processes better will benefit the people doing the work and the customer. And you mentioned lean. We're going to get to that in a second. So put a pin on that. Keep that thought. Right. We want to hear more about lean, what it is, and what you're doing with that. Colby, how about you? Could you tell us a bit about your background uh, and what brought you here to OPE? Sure thing. So, yeah, again, my name is Colby Claybaugh. I'm the director of performance delivery here in the Office of Performance Through Excellence. Um, I was born and raised in Pennsylvania, uh, central Pennsylvania. I grew up in Hanover, about an hour south of Harrisburg. And I mention that because as I get into my, my professional background, I think it may help you understand why I uh, ended up at the Commonwealth in the first place. So I actually started my career in the international development sector, um, and I was mostly providing uh, U.S.-based research and admin support to, to development projects that donors like USAID and the, the World Bank were funding in different places around the world. Um, and it didn't take me long to realize that to do what I really thought was the interesting work in, in that field would require me to really upgrade my skill set. So I decided to go back for my PhD. I was intending to specialize in the politics of developing countries, but about halfway through my program, uh, I came to the realization that, you know, academia, uh, academia just wasn't for me. And I think the reason has to do with something that one of your previous guests, Angela Hawkin, uh, said on the first episode, which was that, you know, academic research can really feel far removed from the real world problems that the researchers are studying. So, you know, ultimately I decided that I would finish my degree, but instead of looking for a job uh, studying government, I would look for a job working with government. And on a personal note, you know, it also just so happens that I, I met my future wife about halfway oh, through grad nice. school. So it's amazing how, you know, traveling the world uh, in exotic locations can suddenly seem a lot less appealing when you start thinking about settling down and starting a family. But in any case, I ended up finding an opportunity with a great organization called the Government Performance Lab that's based uh, out of the Harvard Kennedy School. And it turned out that the lab was looking for someone uh, with my general background to come to Harrisburg and to support the Commonwealth's first ever pay for success initiative. And of course, Brett, that's when you and I uh, first had the opportunity to work together. Um, and we can talk a little bit about uh, what pay for success is later if you're interested in that. But now suffice it to say, it's how I ended up back home uh, in Pennsylvania and how I got connected to the Commonwealth in the first place. So f following my work with the Government Performance Lab, I joined the Governor's Budget Office where I worked on performance management and integrating performance data into the budget pro uh, into the budget process. Uh, and then from budget, I moved to my current position when the governor created the Office of Performance Through Excellence at the beginning of last year. And so you're both in the uh, Office of Performance Through Excellence. When did this office start? When was the office created? It was created by executive order in February 2018. Okay, so it's a brand new office. And Colby, you're the director. Congratulations, right? You were just recently... Um, I guess, promoted to that position. Uh, could you tell us about the thinking behind this office? Uh, why did the governor feel that this was an important office to create? 
And what is the mission of OPE? What, what, are, what are they here? What are you here for? Sure. So, I mean, I think the origins of the office uh, really date back to the governor's uh, time in private industry. So he saw firsthand the uh, power of lean and the wolf organization to really have a transformative effect to uh, empower employees to improve their processes and provide greater value to, to customers. And I think he wanted to bring that same approach to Pennsylvania state government. I think a, a big part of the legacy that the governor wants to lead, leave uh, is you know, fundamentally transforming what it means to be a state government employee working for the Commonwealth. Um, and I think he views our office as um, sort of a change agent and bringing about a transformation uh, in the state, state employees' experience, um, giving them a greater voice, giving them um, the opportunity to really improve the processes on which they work, recognizing that, you know, our, our workforce is our greatest asset. There are process experts. They're oftentimes the, the direct point of contact with our customers. Um, and so by, you know, empowering them and taking good care of, of our workforce, we're able to deliver be better results to Pennsylvanians. And I think that's, that's largely what our office is, is set out to do. What are the major initiatives that uh, OP is responsible for or working on? So our office, uh, you know, when it was established, it was bringing together uh, three um, separate programs. So one was uh, the governor's office of transformation, innovation, management and efficiency uh, or go time, which was um, the governor's signature savings initiative uh, from his first term that uh, was able to you know, realize hundreds of millions of dollars in savings and efficiencies. Uh, brought together the performance management program that um, prior to the creation of OPE was um, largely uh, housed in the Office of the Budget. And it brought together the, the Commonwealth's um, much newer lean management initiative um, under one roof, under a single unit that would report directly uh, to the governor. And that's a perfect segue into lean. Beth, tell us about lean. What the heck is lean? Where does it come from? Does it stand for anything? No. Lean okay. simply means lean. Although a lot of times it is all capitalized L-E-A-N, it simply is just lean. It's a okay. lean initiative. Um, and lean is simply is a way to look at work process to identify wasteful steps um, to make us work more efficiently um, and provide better customer service. So essentially how I like to look at it is it kind of marries the um, customer satisfaction and employee satisfaction um, together. Lean has been around since the early 1900s. Actually, Henry Ford used lean principles um, to make the best product possible, eliminate waste, and help employees work smarter and more efficiently. In the 30s, Toyota used lean as well and found that, that small improvements help improve the continuity of the work process. Um, and what we're trying to accomplish through lean is we want to empower employees to look at the work they do because they know the work product the best to identify those areas of inefficiency or wasteful steps and to make our processes work better. So what gives you a headache and what can we do to kind of address those things? Because over time, we've built in a lot of steps in our processes that are wasteful. Yeah. So we want to see what's required by law and regulation and what else have we padded into our process that's wasteful. And did you say that you were involved in lean before you came to OPE? I was, yeah. When I worked at the insurance department, um, GoTime rolled out a lean ninja program. And I was lucky enough to be part of that. And that was probably in 2015 or 2016. So I went through some training back then. So there, so there have been other folks, too, involved in Lean throughout the Commonwealth for, for some time. That is correct, right. And your role is to expand Lean 
What's a lean ninja, and who are lean ninjas beating up? Oh, well, we're beating up uh, work processes, I guess, because we're not <laughs> beating up anybody. We're Tom beating, D. Whip. Tom D. Whip, right. We didn't even mention him. Um, Who's Tom D. Whip? Tom D. Whip is something that um, if you go through lean awareness, you'll learn a lot about, but it is the seven wastes that lean identifies. So um, Tom D. Whip is the funny acronym, but it involves different kinds of waste. So there's transportation waste. Um, there is overproduction waste. There is motion waste. Defects, waiting, inventory, and processing wastes. But I don't want to give you too much because nice. I want people to come to lean awareness. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but we're looking for Tom D. Whip and trying to get rid of him out of our processes. Uh, do you do trainings? We do. Yes, um, we do lean awareness trainings. We do those um, in person, and we have webinars as well. We are also doing some workshops, so we're trying to um, concentrate on more lean tools and get people try to understand how to use the tools to problem solve because a lot of times people just kind of slap band-aids on problems and try to move move past them but what we want to do is drill down to the root cause of the problems and try to fix those so we don't have to keep correcting issues over and over again what are some examples of some lean projects that you've been involved in um well i will say that there have been hundreds of uh, process improvements um, that have been implemented throughout the commonwealth which is fantastic Many are smaller scale projects, however, Lean is about continuous process improvement and making incremental changes. To illustrate the power of Lean, though, I want to highlight a Lean project uh, that was recently done at Revenue um, because I just want to show how impactful Lean can actually be. Um, this project resulted in a time savings of approximately 497 and a half person hours monthly for a 5,970 hour savings annually or 853 person day savings annually. Um, this was addressing current backlogs of 11,000 clearances where customers were waiting 270 to 365 days for a resolution. Um, this was uh, initiative with the customers need clearance in order to close their businesses. And the backlog, since this uh, project was implemented, backlog has gone from 14,000 to 7,000 since June, and that backlog continues to decrease. Wow. Those are big numbers, so. Yeah. Yeah. If DOC staff want to get lean trained, uh, what do they do? They can either contact me or your lean lead, Nikki Bell, for more training. Um, we do, like I said, have general audience ones, but I am more than happy to come out to sites, um, do special webinars for DOC um, or whatever. I just want to make sure that we can reach as many DOC employees as possible because we want everybody to be thinking about this daily. Yeah, I think so. If I could just add to that, I mean, I think one of our, our big priorities in our office's first year was raising awareness about what lean is and how Commonwealth employees can get involved. Um, and so just to tout one of one of our, our big successes from year one, which was um, that we were able to reach uh, approximately 6,000 Commonwealth employees through some form of lean training, whether that be lean awareness, whether that be some of our, our more advanced training offerings. Um, and I think we're, we're committed to to really getting out in the field and reaching the Commonwealth workforce that um, you know may be based elsewhere, may may not be in Harrisburg, and I think you know Beth has personally conducted some of those trainings and and really you know driven the message home that this this isn't a Harrisburg centric thing. This is meant to be about this is about you know the state government employee and and reaching them wherever they are. Another area that OPE oversees, Colby, that you mentioned is performance management and that role that um, the Office of the Budget used to uh, oversee. 
Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing in this space? Uh, it seems to have become a big kind of hot topic in the Commonwealth to look at performance-based uh, management, performance-based budgeting. What what all is involved in that, and um, and why is this a hot topic? Yeah, well, I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it, anything performance-related or, or evidence-based decision making has become uh, quite the hot topic lately in Pennsylvania and in else in other jurisdictions. So, you know, you mentioned performance management and performance-based budgeting, um, and I know you know DOC and some of the work that we've done together that also has touched on performance contracting. So, I think that those are um, you know, three different approaches and each has its own particular focus and we should probably, you know, tackle each one individually. Um, but I think what they all have in common is really this emphasis on following the evidence in pursuit of an organization's goals. Um, and so since performance management is really directly part of OPE's mandate, why don't I, you know, just start there. So when I talk about performance management, I like to say that it's really the practice of asking four basic questions. And they are, what is our purpose? How will we go about achieving our purpose? How will we know if we're succeeding? And if we're not succeeding, how are we going to change to do better? Um, and so, you know, just to unpack each of those questions. So first, what is our purpose? And, you know, I think this gets at regardless of whether we're talking about a government agency, a private company, a nonprofit, uh, it really, the first step in performance management before you even get to data um, is clearly defining a purpose. So the goals and objectives that your organization has set out to achieve. And this is something that I'll say, you know, I think DOC has done a great job at uh, in terms of laying out, you know, four priority goals for your department, you know, reducing the inmate population, reducing recidivism, reducing in prison violence and improving staff wellness. Uh, and I think that Laying out your goals in a clear way like that, make you know they make it obvious for your staff what success looks like. They help connect the work of, of each individual um, to the mission of the agency, and I think that's a critical foundation to have before you even get to working with data and before data even begin driving decision making. Uh, and so the second piece of performance management really asks, how will we achieve our purpose? So how will we deliver on those goals that we've set? And in the government space, I think the answer to this question really gets at how we go about weaving together different policies and programs uh, into coherent strategies that uh, will help us achieve our goals. And here is where I think you start to see the data come in because, you know, in, in crafting strategies, it can often be helpful to review the existing evidence to help determine, you know, what practices are effective at driving the results that you're aiming for. And there are a number of online clearinghouses that have become popular that, uh, really help government officials understand what the evidence base is for a given set of programs. Um, and I think I would also add that no matter what combination of programs you've chosen to you know, pursue a goal, implementing them within a lean culture can really enhance the effectiveness of any, any strategy by delivering the programs through efficient processes and, and putting a premium really on being responsive to customers' needs. Um, so the third question, how will we know if we're succeeding? And you know, answering this question, I think, is the main reason that we measure performance through the variety of metrics that state government tracks. Um, and so, of course, we're going to be interested in the outcome data uh, to track progress towards uh, those top line goals, um, you know, like reducing recidivism or reducing imprisoned violence. Uh, but I think one of the limitations of outcome metrics uh, is that that new data often isn't available frequently enough to provide 
uh, kind of valuable feedback to decision makers. So I think we really also benefit from having some leading indicators that tell us uh, whether our strategies are working as they're intended to. So for example, uh, again, to, to cite a DOC example, you know, are, are we enrolling reentrants into the appropriate treatment programs? Are, you know, our drug interdiction policies working as they're supposed to be? Um, and, you know, I would also note that that performance metrics are really only part of the story here. So, you know, the need for timely and actionable information also shows why there's so much value in an initiative like BetaGov that you all are working on um, and which I, I think is really you know, turning around evaluation results um, on a timeline that allows your agency decision makers to really base decisions on those results. Um, and so, and you know, another thing I'd say about BetaGov is that unlike a lot of performance management data, you're getting evidence from BetaGov trials that you know shows whether a particular innovation or policy change actually causes uh, a change in your outcome that you're interested in. So. Um, and, you know, it, it may not be that uh, some metric is what it takes to alert you to whether you're um, implementing your policies effectively. It may actually be the voice of an employee or a customer. Uh, so I think we really need to be building a culture that ensures that those voices are heard. And that's, again, what we're trying to do with Lean and how Lean and performance management really complement each other well. Um, fourth and final piece of the performance management uh is, is asking, so if we're not succeeding, how do we change to do better? And asking this question, I think, is meant to remind us that simply collecting data and measuring performance isn't enough. And so to actually improve government performance, we need to be continuously learning from our data uh, and adjusting our strategies in response to new information. Um, and, in a, and I think a good example of an effective strategy for doing just that can be found in our own Department of Human Services and their PeopleStat program. Uh, and so, you know, just to give those who may not be familiar a sense of what PeopleStat is, um, it works like this. So DHS's executive leadership will hold a series of uh, frequent and regularly scheduled meetings with their agency staff. Uh, and these meetings are, you know, specifically dedicated to reviewing progress toward the agency's uh, five priority goals as measured by some key performance metrics. And I think this format really allows the leadership of the agency to keep agency staff focused on their top priority goals. Uh, it allows them to use insights that's, that are gained from performance data to collaboratively solve problems together uh, and follow up on past decisions that they may have made uh, in a way that really enforces positive accountability and continuous improvement. And so this, this stat approach, which uh, originated in the New York Police Department in the 1990s has really been widely replicated at this point in state and local um, and even federal government. Uh, and under the right circumstances, I think it's a really a promising approach to uh, operationalizing performance management practice. Colby, you had mentioned, I think you mentioned that the DOC is one of a few agencies in the first round of doing what they call performance-based budgeting. What is performance-based budgeting about? What's that process? Yeah, sure. So I think Pennsylvania has been incorporating performance information into the budget process for a long time now. So program measures have been reported in the governor's executive budget document since uh, at least the early 70s. Uh, and there's been a statutory requirement for doing this uh, since at least the late 70s. So for decades, Pennsylvania's budgeting system, which is known as program budgeting, has been designed to present decision makers uh, in the General Assembly 
with information on the expected results that are associated with the investment of state dollars. Uh, and then in 2017, the Performance-Based Budgeting and Tax Credit Efficiency Act added another layer to how Pennsylvania incorporates evidence into the, into the budget process. And among other things, the act requires that the state's independent fiscal office or the IFO uh, develop performance-based budget plans for all governor's jurisdiction agencies once every five years. Uh, and, and I think the key innovation in performance-based budgeting is that, you know, unlike the annual budget, which is based on line items that may or may not map directly onto specific outcomes that legislators and, you know, quite frankly, the public care about, the performance-based budget plans will connect agency activities to goals and therefore to outcomes um, that are you know, relevant to legislators and, and relevant to, to citizens. And so you get a framework for making funding decisions that are based on results rather than uh, incremental changes to previous budgets, which in practice tend to be what the annual budget process looks like. Um, and again, in another example of DOC being a leader, uh, you all are uh, up as guinea pigs in year one of this process and, and have been great to work with on it. So, so thank you. As we wrap up, I just want to thank you for being cheerleaders for, uh, you mentioned culture change and, and part of this podcast and the purpose behind it is to continue to try to change the DOC culture to be more innovative and from top to bottom have everyone bought into innovation. And so uh, we really appreciate you lending the support from the governor's office to help, you know, again, be cheerleaders for us and, and support us in our innovations. And as we wrap up, I wonder if you just have any um, parting words of wisdom for our staff who are on the edge and want to get involved in doing innovative kind of things, whether it's lean or beta gov, um, or any general thoughts on innovation and in government in general. Um, wonder if either of you had any parting thoughts. Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, sure. Um, I think we all can agree that government in general is very inefficient. So there are opportunities everywhere if we look for them. And that's what I would encourage people to do. Um, and I've been talking to a lot of, other, I mean, other agencies in the Commonwealth, other states that have been implemented lean for a while. And every agency, every state is experiencing the same barriers. So a couple things that, you know, we try to um, continue to work on is continued employee engagement and how do we keep lean relevant. Um, we also have some middle management and supervisor challenges sometimes because we want to make sure that we're creating a safe space for idea generation and empowering employees to develop a plan to implement ideas for improvement. Um, there might have been initiatives like this before, but we want frontline people to really be looking at their work processes to identify ways to do things better. Um, this is a big initiative, and we are asking people to look at things differently. We've done things the same way for so long that we no longer want to accept this is the way we've always done it. We want to ask why. Um, and we want to check laws and regulations to see what is actually mandated and identify any steps in a process that are wasteful. I know there are skeptics out there, um, but I also know that there are many people who are excited about this lean opportunity. So why miss an opportunity to make your work easier? That is essentially what we're trying to accomplish with an emphasis on what our customers value. Um, just a shout out to the DOC staff. You have tremendous support from leadership. I would ask that each of you begin to think about what you do every day and try to identify those lean opportunities. What gives you a headache every day? Let's talk about it and see if there's a way to eliminate or lessen that headache. And then finally, if you haven't attended lean awareness, I would encourage you to do so. Additionally, submit any lean ideas to the idea resource account. Um, after the idea is submitted, your lean lead, Nikki Bell, and I will be following up with you to gather more information. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I would just say that, you know, we are, we feel very fortunate to have um, such a great partnership with the Department of Corrections. I think, you know, you all have shown yourselves to be leaders, not only in the Commonwealth, but um, nationwide when it comes to innovation and evidence-based policymaking. And, you know, I, I know that I'm really excited about, you know, your latest effort to try to build a community of pracademics uh, within Pennsylvania state government. So, Thank you for your leadership there. Um, and, in, you know, I would just, again, emphasize that um, this initiative that our, our office has been um, given the responsibility for leading uh, is really about uh, the employees of the Commonwealth um, and giving them a voice to improve the processes in which they work. Um, it's not about doing more with less. It's about stopping doing things that don't make sense um, and focusing your time and energy on the things that your customers care about, the things that you enjoy doing, uh, the things that get you out of bed in the morning. And I think there is is really the connection between lean and performance management. Um, you know, I think, you know, for me personally, I was drawn to public service because I really believe in the mission. Um, and I think that that's true of many state government employees I think we're we're here to to make the world a better place in some small way, um, and you know I think that that our office really wants to put the tools in the hands of state government employees to do more of that, to do more of the work that connects you with your mission, that makes Pennsylvanians' lives better, um, and and really you know gives us something to feel good about when we go home at the end of the day. Well, we definitely have our work cut out for us. We have no, no lack of projects uh, or things that we can improve on. But thanks again for being on this epi- on the second episode of Pracademically Speaking. And maybe we can have you back in two years and report on all the great progress we've made. And so thanks again for being on. And um, thanks for working with us. Looking forward to working with you further in the future. Thanks for having us. We're back for the second part of this episode of Pracademically Speaking. I have with me Damien Masais. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Great. Um, glad to have you here. I've seen your name come up quite often in BetaGov and, and the lean process. So I thought it'd be great to uh, talk to you today. So thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'd like to start out and just ask you about your professional background. Uh, walk us through how you got started in this business, um, what got you interested in this line of work, how long you've been here, and uh, some of the different roles you've had over the years. Yeah, I um, yeah, started with a, a strong interest in law enforcement, and uh, I went to Millersville University, studied sociology and criminology, and from there, um, you know, I, I, I took a, a pretty big interest in, in research along the way, and Millersville has, a, has a, an excellent sociology department. And I actually still talk to uh, one of my old professors, uh, Dr. Mary Glazer, there about some projects that she has going on in the Lancaster community. And so um, just kind of fast forwarding a little bit, when BetaGov kind of came up, came on my radar, it just kind of was a, a perfect match for me because I've always had that interest. But I really stuck with the law enforcement side and got into parole um, after I graduated. i uh, been with the state for uh, a little over 16 years now. Um, uh, out of our Lancaster office. I started in Harrisburg for a few weeks and then transferred out to Lancaster. That's also where I live. Um, and I just, I really love the line of work. Uh, I feel like we have a lot of impact in the community um, and in the, in, in the, in the Commonwealth uh, as well. 
and it's just it's a lot of fun it's exciting there's challenges every day so um it's it's really been a great place to uh to work so you've been in lancaster for most of your career in the lancaster district office yes that's a lancaster sub office sub office right downtown okay. lancaster i know you've been an active champion for new ideas and change uh like i said I've seen your name come up several times for ideas for BetaGov and Lean Pilots. Uh, maybe if you could just describe some of your ideas that you've proposed. I know not all of them have gotten off the ground, or at least yet. Uh, but describe some of your ideas that you've had uh, and have submitted. Sure. Um, one of the ones, uh, one of the, the earliest ideas I submitted uh, is about the home plan process. So when someone's uh, getting ready to parole out of one of our state institutions and, you know, they're, they're looking for their home to be approved uh, by the field office. Um, I looked at a lot of different friction points that we have there. Um, you know, we, we approve most of our plans now, which is great. Uh, we are able to find, you know, a stable place for people to go. But um, that's really a, a, a great opportunity to establish a good relationship, not only with the home provider, but with the reentrant as well. So, and I thought, you know, before we can have that person come home, wouldn't it be great if we could meet face to face while they're still in the prison? And so we looked at uh, video conferencing. Could we set up, you know, even just a five minute, um, you know, our agents don't have a, a lot of time because we, we do have big caseloads and a lot of things going on, but just, you know, a five minute intro uh, with someone before, I mean, it could just, it could help in a lot of different ways. Uh, we could look at, you know, the anxiety of the person coming home before they meet their agent. I mean, I, you know, having done, I was a field agent for uh, about 13 years before I became a supervisor. And I could tell you that, um, you know, you develop a reputation before someone even meets you. I mean, people come in and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to get Damien, you know, and um, I kind of say, well, what did I do? You know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even yeah. meet you yet. So, uh, you know, but if we could meet beforehand, you know, maybe we could give each other a fair shake that way, Yeah. you yeah. know, and, and we can get to know them and not just what's on paper, you know, but a little bit about you know who's who we're going to meet when they come home, uh, what their goals are, and uh, kind of set the stage for a little bit more success, uh, successful outcomes as they start out on parole. So that was one of the ideas. Um, another one, kind of near and dear to my heart, is um, you know a wellness or fitness group for uh, boot camp graduates. Um, a lot we get a lot of boot campers in Lancaster, and I think the judges just make a lot of people boot camp eligible and. Uh, so we get people come home and uh, coming home from boot camp, and they're on an enhanced level supervision where we see them about once a week. Uh, but the the one commonality I've seen over the years is that uh, while they're at the boot camp, you know they, they get in great shape, they get their GED, they do a lot of programming, and then they come home, and it's just uh, one of the hardest pump of the brakes in the state system. I think it just all stop all of a sudden. You know they um, have struggle getting the job. Um, a lot of Lancaster's good, but um, a lot of places they do uh, have a hard time finding work. Um, you know, they, they're not eating the same, they're not working out anymore. And, you know, I just think that this, the whole train derails, mm -hmm. you know, and what if we got involved in that? What if we started a, you know, a workout group, a running group? Um, I, it would be great for the agents too. I mean, it, yeah. you know, the, the effects of physical activity on anybody, you know, you know, working on a fitness program, you know, is, is, can just be tremendously healthy for you so a dual staff wellness and uh re-entrant yeah and i just program thought you know I, I love to run so i could run and they run in the boot camp so um you know we could start a little running group you know once a week and make it be voluntary you know and uh but we've 
you know, kind of mentioned it casually to some boot campers coming home and they're all like, wow, I wish I, I wish I had that. And yeah. they'd also don't always have access to gyms. I mean, gyms can be expensive and you need the time and transportation to get there. And, you know, so this could be something that we could run right out of our office. And it's just an idea, but I, it's something that um, I know I have staff that would be interested in it. And it sounds like there's a little bit of, you know, some, some reentrance that would be interested in it. And we need to see if it, if it could work. Um, also, uh, other ideas like um, looking at the intake procedure. Um, you know, when someone comes home, you know, we go through just a ton of paperwork with them. And um, it's just kind of going back to the, the first thing, like it, it affects that relationship. It makes the start of the relationship based on rules and paperwork and liability and um, almost everything you don't want a relationship with a person to be. You, you want it to be about our interaction, about trust. And there is a place that we need to have that paperwork done. But I'm, my thought is, what if we tried to do that on the front end before they're released? Um, have all the paperwork signed so that when they come into the office or maybe they don't come into the office, we just meet them the first time at their home and we really get to know them without throwing all the paper at them to sign here, sign there. Um, and we really work on that relationship a little bit better. That's uh, one thing I'd love to see. Um, I have some other ideas about, um, you know, kind of on the, the enforcement side of things too. Um, like mapping uh, re-entering addresses, uh, looking at drug use trends. Um, I think there's a lot that we can do to be a little more nimble in the field. Um, you know, one of the things I've seen since I came on as a supervisor is that, you know, we could be assigning cases to agents that might be working right next door to each other, uh, seeing different people. And we don't always have the visual aids to, to know that we're doing that. You know, so uh, if we were able to look at, you know, how do we map something and then share that information, you know, at the appropriate times with law enforcement, I mean, we can look at trends and we've been involved in some things in Lancaster where we looked at, you know, um, you know, burglary cases. And then we, we were able to look at where people were living with similar charges, with histories and things like that. And kind of, you know, throw out some, some ideas for, well, these are people you might want to look at, you know, you might want to talk to, uh, things like that. I think, you know, that would be a really, really interesting trial to see, you know, also when we get positive drug tests, you know, where's the drug use and can we direct treatment mm -hmm. in those neighborhoods? Uh, if we're seeing a, a, a swell of methamphetamine use in the city, then, well, maybe we need to talk to our drug drug and alcohol treatment providers, or maybe we need more providers to accommodate the need. Mm -hmm. um, then um, also looking at, you know, uh, profiling. Um, if we have, you know, uh, we have a lot of data, and I always wonder, are we, are we using it, you know, to to the best end? You know, can we look at, okay, the, here are some reentrants that um, I'll share these, these common threads, you know, this many convictions for... Um, possession with intent to deliver, you know, cocaine, this many, um, you know, uh, that scored this high on, on these assessments, uh, this many address changes in the past, you know, can we, can we find ways to identify who might be actively selling drugs on our caseload and just kind of clue agents in and say, here's some people that you might want to keep a closer eye on, you know, or you, you might want to keep, keep your eyes peeled when you're out of their house, you know, because, you know, it, it's raising a flag for us. So those, those are a few of my ideas, yeah. not all of them. But I'm I, sure you have more, too. Uh, I'm, I don't know if you've counted how many ideas you've submitted, but it seems like every time I'm reviewing, I see an idea that you submitted. So I, I have to think that you're up there in terms of uh, people who have submitted the most number of trial ideas. How about some of the challenges that you see in trying to make a difference in an agency like this? trying to have new or innovative ideas, all great ideas that you mentioned, 
what are some of the challenges, though, that you see to um, actually seeing those implemented? Well, one of the biggest challenges is just the way that our business operates. Uh, we have a, a very um, a big focus on chain of command, uh, like a top-down leadership model. And the distance between the levels in our chain of command can um, dilute the significance of a problem just based on that, that distance alone. Uh, the way something looks at the field level where we're seeing it can look completely different at the management level. And we all need to understand that. Um, that it just it creates challenges. Um, and we don't always understand from each other's perspective how urgent a problem might be. So uh, that's something that I think we need to look at um, if we want to uh, really foster some more innovation and say, you know, um, okay, what, what are some of the problems that you're facing and what solutions can you present, you know, to, uh, to help fix it? Um, some of the other challenges are just, I, I think that a lot of staff, um, you know, still feel uncomfortable with sending ideas up. Uh, they're not sure how it could be interpreted as you know, kind of being too critical or, um, you know, kind of a complainer or something. But, you know, I, I think that they just need to, you know, focus on, on being solution oriented and say like, okay, I'm not like, I'm not just complaining about something. I'm not just saying there's a problem, but I'm, I'm presenting a way that we can maybe solve that. And they just need to know that, you know, they're not going to be judged for that. In fact, it's going to be appreciated. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, um, you know, people do worry about, you know, if their idea is going to, going to fail too. Um, and one of the things that, uh, just going to the beta gov conferences, um, that I really took home, uh, was that, you know, sometimes that's, that's actually a really good outcome. You know, knowing that something doesn't work, right. you know, is, is, you know, we can rule that out or knowing how something had an impact on something else is, is a, a big part of the, 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 uh, the puzzle. Um, then, uh, you know, I, I do think a lot of people are concerned about how much work might be involved in a trial in a, in sure. a uh, randomized control trial and, and, um, will they have the time to do it? Will it all fall on them? Uh, they don't really understand, you know, like how much support there might be for that or, or, it might feel like, well, if I came up with this idea and all these other people have to do this work, right. then I just pushed all this off onto them. and They're, <laughs> they're gonna not going to like me. I'm going to make yeah. enemies. Yeah. I just I, created a lot of work for a lot of people. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't worried about that myself. Yeah. I, just, I did submit a few ideas. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, it does it does concern me a little bit that people might might look at it a little funny. But um, but I really I really can't wait to see something get off the ground and see, see us try something. It doesn't, you know, I'm not... I wouldn't be offended if it wasn't one of my ideas that was picked to to uh, to try. I just I, w- I would like to be involved in it just to to see how we can have a bigger impact. And uh, yeah, we also we just we're a very rapidly changing field. Um, you know, we've had a lot of turnover uh, over many years since I've been here, and there's a lot of changes in in the law. There's a lot of changes in our business processes on a very ongoing basis. So um, just, I mean, now that I'm, I'm sitting here doing this interview, uh, some, some of the, the ideas that I've submitted already have already uh, started to take shape and not because of any involvement from BetaGov or administration, just that um, like, our, like some of our leaders in with the consolidation already saw the problem and started working on it. And that's great. But um, there, there are some, you know, just how quickly we change, you know, presents a challenge to get people to, to innovate, I think. And um, just finding time to do it, to go beyond, like uh, Dr. Hawkins from BetaGov calls it stretch government. Mm-hmm. I really like that term, um, you know, because it is, 
a lot of times I submit the ideas, it's probably, you know, five, six in the morning, you know, because that's when I'm up and I'm thinking. And that's when I have the time. When I'm in my office, uh, we're dealing with so many other things. It's just, it's hard to dedicate any time to, to doing extra. So I, I, that, that's a challenge for us as well. Well, you talked a, about a lot about um, some of the things that might discourage staff from submitting ideas. What would you say to staff, to your peers, to encourage them to uh, submit ideas, to think out of the box or innovatively, and go ahead and make that step to submit an idea, whether it's a lean or a beta gov idea, or now I guess we're calling it idea, which is the umbrella for both of those. Um, what, what would you say to your peers? Well, I think I'd say, you know, try to find something that, um, you know, either it's it's for you personally, uh, or it's maybe for a reentry coming home, um, you know, that would say, if not for this, you know, my day would be easier. It would be more fun, you know, more challenging, more rewarding. Um, I'd have a better outcome if, if only this, this, this could happen, you know, and, and go with that, you know, make it something that impacts you, uh, something that you're interested in and, um, and try to, try to find something that can, that can solve that problem, you know, for, for you and just submit it, you know, roll the dice. I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna lose anything. Um, it's just taken me a little bit of time to type a few emails, but other than that, um, you know, the, the calls, I've gotten some, some calls from the, um, the beta gov group um and they've been really interesting in fact the ideas have, have even more taken shape on those calls and really developed and i feel like i've gotten to know more of the rct process and and um so it's it, it is a little bit of uh, a leap you're taking to kind of throw your, your trust into this process but it's very rewarding so have I, you felt like your ideas have been taken seriously um i feel like when I talked to the BetaGov group, um, they really put a lot of, of effort into um, validating your idea as something that, that can work and helping you even craft it a little bit into something that could be measured and studied um, if I didn't have like that, that in mind when I first submitted it. And um, it's just been hard to get it off the ground. Uh, I think it's it's been, like I said earlier, there's, there's a little bit of... Um, you know, apprehension about, you know, how are we going to do this and what's it going to involve, how much work. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's, and I know it's a process and we're going to get there. And, uh, I think that, you know, once, once one of these gets done, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to get more support. There's going to be a groundswell. People yeah. Say, Hey, I get it now. You know, right. This, this is, this isn't so hard. And, and hopefully over the long term, it actually makes the job easier as we figure out what works and streamline things through the lean process. Hopefully, it doesn't put an added burden on uh, folks, but it actually makes their jobs easier. Right, right. And I think uh, the other thing I'd say to a lot of people, too, is, you know, look at something that uh, we do that we've always done and ask yourself, are are we just doing that because we've always done it? Or is there a... is it, is it, is there a better reason for it? I mean, and some of these things that we still do, um, you know, are really, we've solved with technology over the years, but we never went back and, and revisited the practice, the business practice, the way that we're doing it. Right. You know, um, like we still write, um, uh, they call them PCRs, progress and con- conduct reports. Um, 
every year and sometimes every six months, you know, for someone who, who they're out. Now, when I started, we hand wrote all of our notes, you know, and since that time, you know, everything's computerized. We write everything in, into um, in the databases. And, and uh, you know, I, I kind of look at that and say, like, when I started, we would hand write a conduct report. And it was your way to take all your notes out of your, your running record and your, your field book that you took out with you every day. You take six months worth of notes, put a paragraph summary on top of it, slap it in the file. Well, now we have everything electronic, but we're still doing these contact reports. Yeah. You know? And there is a reason why we do some of them. We do want to assess how people are doing, but we haven't really changed. We haven't really l- looked at, is there a different way of doing this? Could we be more efficient, more nimble with it and give our agents a little more time to do some of the things that maybe... Um, you know, are, are more worthwhile and, and affect that, that human interaction with the ranch that they're dealing with. And paperwork seems to be a common theme I hear across a lot of these trials, just freeing up uh, agents to do the work they were really hired to do and, uh, and not be so bogged down with paperwork um, to the degree and extent right. possible, recognizing that some of that's necessary. Like you said, there's purposes behind um, the paperwork, but streamlining to uh, to the degree that we can frees up time, I think, to, to really do more important things. So that, that does seem to be a common theme across many of the trials. How about if you could tell us what you've been most proud of in your career and achieving in your career? Is there one thing you could point to or a couple things that looking back over your 16 years – you're most proud of? Um, I think it would, I mean, it's hard not to bring my family into this because um, like they're really a constant source of support. And it's, it's why I go, I go to work is to support my family. I love what I do, but without them, I, I, I really, I can't, I can't do it. And I, I, I need uh, that balance. And, and if I were to say what I'm most proud of, it's, it's, Finding that that work and home balance, uh, being able to be effective while I'm at work, and to also be at home and and be a good husband and good father as, as best as I as I, I can be. Now, uh, my wife would probably tell you that uh, the balance would work out a lot better if I could take our two year old to work with me, <laughs> but I'm sure that that probably wouldn't be safe. So um, that's a great answer. <laughs> thanks. So um, other things that I'm pretty proud of are just the. Lancaster is is a phenomenal place to work. I mean, we have a good population. It's a good sized city that we see a, a fair share of problems, but we have a really great team to work with. So we, we've um, made a lot of inroads with our, our local police, with the Lancaster City Bureau of Police, uh, State Police, and um, other agencies out there, all the, the townships and everything. And, and um, we work very closely to help each other to keep the community safe, to have an impact that, um, that is meaningful. And, um, and that's something that we've cultivated over years and years, um, of building trust. And it's, it's not easy for, you know, some agencies to say, Hey, you know, this is, uh, some information we've developed in an investigation and share that with us and kind of give out that trust. But over years, we've really worked hard at, at, um, being a, a team together to uh, accomplish common goals and you know when we are helping um, you know solve problems in the community that that's something that I really I really enjoy and then just um, you know as a since I became a supervisor just helping to make decisions that keep staff safe is also something that that I, I really work hard at and anytime that we can uh, achieve something that 
everybody gets to go home and um, our reentrance needs are met, whether yeah. that's to keep them home or to reincarcerate them if something horrible happened. Um, when everybody's safe, uh, it's something that I, I really, I'm really proud of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, how about some parting thoughts? Uh, anything that you would like to say in general about how we can make this agency, this bigger new combined agency, uh, more innovative, more open to change and, and getting better at what we do. Um, anything at all that you would part part us with? Um, you know, I, th- I think we need to get a quick win here. I think we need to to find an idea that either one that's already submitted or solicit an idea for a specific problem, maybe or something. You know, give some give some people a uh, kind of a cue to say, here's something that we're working on. And we need your input and get um, get an idea moving and get ownership of that idea to the employee to say, okay, this is, you know, we like your idea. We can measure this and, you know, we're going to, we're going to give you some autonomy with it, you know, to work with the beta gov group and to go forward and, and do this random control trial, you know, so, and, um, you know, once we, we get that in and get it, get a win under our belt, you know, I feel like everything's going to be, you know, a little bit easier from there, you know, and uh, we're going to get more coming in and people are going to see that, that example from their peer that, that had that success. And they're going to say, I want to, I want to be a part of that too, you know? And, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, all, you know, once we, we do a better job of kind of communicating that there is this, this need for innovation, that we, we don't need to just do everything the exact same way we've always been doing it, that, maybe you have some great ideas you're the ones doing the work you know tell us what what can work better you know and, and it sounds like it's worked really well on, on the doc side and I, i'm just very anxious to see it it happen on our side as well and as we we consolidate i think it's it's just going to be great to have that shared environment to do that in well, you're definitely a beta gov recidivist, but that's a good kind of recidivism. We want to encourage that kind of recidivism. So I do thank you for all the ideas you've submitted, and I thank you for being on this episode today. It's been great to talk to you and get your ideas and thoughts and hear about your 16-year career um, at Parole. And uh, looking forward to many more ideas from you and, and hopefully encouraging through your interview, um, other peers and other staff to submit ideas as well. So thanks for being on and great talking with you. Yeah, thank you.